podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. to a Celtic state of mind. It's Friday, which can mean only one thing. Uh, my name is Laura Bradburn. I'm joined, as always, by Jim Orr and Anthony Haggerty. How are you doing, guys? Good, Laura. Yeah, good. Uh, very well, Laura. Thank you. Quiet good. Week. <laughs> Quiet week again, yeah. Nothing much to talk about. We were thinking about just sacking it off today, but, you know, got to do what you got to do. Now, before we get into the big news, I think everybody's talking about... Um, Tony, you just wanted to mention something about Wee Riley that we talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago. She was obviously going through some some health yeah. troubles and you just wanted to update the folks on it. Yeah, I did. I get sent uh, uh, a tweet by Riley's uncle, Kerr, and he just, just he sent me this last week, but it, it had gone after the show. She said Riley's operation was a tremendous success and she's in the process of getting out of the hospital as we speak. She'll be in her own bed tonight and just wanted to say a huge thank you for, for the support from the Axon family. It will never be forgotten. He just wanted us to share the news with the rest of the team and, and everybody out there. So that's absolutely wonderful news and a, and a lovely way to start the programme, I think. Brilliant. Good. Nothing like your own bed, Riley. I can I can vouch for that. So I hope you're happy at home and you're getting lots of hugs and cuddles because after everything that's happened, I think, I think you deserve it. But uh, no, good thoughts from everybody at Celtic State of Mind and thanks to everybody for their kind words. Um, towards the family I'm sure they really appreciated it and they, they did say so so we'll move on to the the football news that has rocked Scotland I think in the last 24 hours uh, not to be too dramatic but um, Scott Brown our captain of the last 10, 11 years a player for the last 14 or so years has announced that he will be leaving at the end of the season to go to Aberdeen as had been rumoured to team up with Stephen Glass in a player coach role um, obviously it's massive massive news it's it's probably about the biggest thing that could have happened to the club besides Peter Lowell leaving and that's that's happened in the same season so 
Before I come to Tony and, and, and Jim on their thoughts on everything, I just wanted to run through a few of the stats. Now, I know everybody watching will, um, well, some of the people watching will have seen on Twitter that personally I have my reservations about Scott Brown. I'm not too devastated to see him leaving, but, you know, today's not a day for that. Today's a day for celebrating everything that he's done for the club and and everything that, that we're going to lose by not having him. So I'll go through some of the some of the amazing stats that I, I read that just put into context exactly how big an impact he's he's had. He was signed from Hibs for £4.4 million in 2007, which I believe is still a record transfer fee between two Scottish clubs for a player. Uh, he's made 16, 613 appearances over 14 years at the time of the broadcast. He's the third longest serving current player at a single club in Scotland. So he's just behind Lewis Stevenson at Hibs and Andrew Constein at Aberdeen. So that's both obviously a former and possibly future teammate that, that we're talking about there. He's seventh ranked in all-time Celtic appearances and he has the most European uh, appearances for Celtic uh, at 127 appearances. 10 Scottish Premiership titles, 6 Scottish Cups, 6 Scottish League Cups. He's the second most decorated captain in Celtic history. He won 19 titles as a captain at the time of the broadcast versus Billy McNeil's 23. He's been in the PFA Scotland Team of the Year 6 times. He's been the PFA Scotland Players Player of the Year twice in 2009 and 2018. And he's been the SFWA Footballer of the Year in 2017-18 unbelievable stats when you write them down and I have to say it made me made me rethink a lot of the things that I've said about him over recent times because at the end of the day when the future uh, history books are written that is what you're going to remember about him you're not going to remember some of the more uh, niggling things that are insignificant things that I may be going about um, Jim I'll come to you first Big change for the club, but more importantly, just now, what what impact do you think Scott Brown's had on the club as both a player and a captain? Phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And I think I said last week, I'd much rather that he stayed. Uh, I think that's tons and tons of experience you just mentioned there, and that's all been lost now. And I think that's invaluable. And I think we've we've rid of too many people over the past four or five years that would have made a big difference. But uh, what was moving when we signed Scott Brown? Uh, he didn't have much of a a first season, to be honest, and I kind of wondered why we'd signed him at the time. I Gordon Strachan uh, took him from a kind of box-to-box player and made him a far more defensive type player. I think he took two or three years to get used to that because uh, at the time when we signed him, I was, he was good pals with Kevin Thompson at the time. Mm-hmm. And I always thought we signed the wrong player. And I, I thought Kevin Thompson was more of a Celtic player. You know, he looked to me a bit like Alan Thompson. Tommy Burns type of player, you know, dictates the play from midfield for us. But uh, Scott Brown was a bit of a kind of box-to-box player. A good player, but I thought Kevin Thompson was the better. And when you look back on that, you think, well, well might have been. Because at the time, the word in the street was Scott Brown was going to the other side. And there was strong mm-hmm. rumours that was what was going to happen. So that's one of those uh, sliding doors moments. I mean, what, what, what might have happened if he'd have ended up over there, you know? Uh, and obviously he'd have been paid a lot more money over there because that was a tax haven at the time. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, also it's an inspired move by Mowbray to make him captain because I didn't think he was captain material. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you think about Mowbray, Matt was, Mowbray wasn't the club that, that long in, in the, both times he was there, but he did, he did two significant things in the Celtic history. He was the guy that caught with the huddle 
at the time. And he was the guy that made Scott Brown captain. So there's two very significant things that he's, that he's done. Uh, the number of times he's played Scott Brown over 600 games for Celtic in the heart of the midfield where it's pretty tough. That's where the, the boots are flying in there. Uh, particularly nowadays in the modern game, it's kind of high intensity. It's, you know, every game's like a kind of must-win game. And he's a bit of a target for a lot of players as well. To survive that long, he's had more than 50 caps for Scotland. Uh, I've never met the guy, but people who I know who have met him say he's a fantastic guy as well. So uh, I'm really sad to lose him. I think we could really do with him next year. Tony, I think I think what what Jim says there will echo the thoughts of a lot of Celtic supporters. You know, when you look at on on paper exactly what he's achieved with the club, you can't deny that there's going to be something major missing. Um, I take it you sort of share those views on Scott Brown and, and I think if I'm right in saying that you were sort of in the boat that you would have rather kept him in some capacity next year anyway. Yeah, I, I echo what Jim said about the experience and uh, what you're throwing away there. But another astonishing stat that I read yesterday was Scott Brown won a trophy every 28 games in his Celtic career. It's utterly, utterly astonishing. Trophy every twenty-eight games. That is well, all the more astonishing, considering how long he's played for us as well. I mean, that's yeah. crazy. You know, so that's an astonishing start, and one that probably won't be called, as you said at the top of the program. Two Celtic captains have won nine in a row. One of them Scott Brown, the other one's Bella McNeil. That's esteemed company that you're keeping there. Esteemed company, and regardless of your thoughts about him, as a footballer. You know, people will say, was he the most gifted? Was he the most talented? But this guy put up with a hell of a lot. Jim mentioned it there in passing. Every time Scott Brown went onto a football field for Celtic, he was carrying the team's hopes, the fans' hopes, as the leader, as the captain. But he was also having to look around for what, what player in the opposition was going to do him. Because he, he, he couldn't be quiet. So he, he invited trouble. So he had to contend with that. He also had to contend with every opposition fans hating him. He was hated. You know, he's the kind of guy. If he's on your team, you love him, and if he's not on your team, you hate him. And people, yeah. fans cheering because an opposition player nobbled him, not because they scored, cheering because an opposition player suddenly put into Scott Brown. That that was worthy of cheers from opposition fans. So he's contending with all of this as well, you know. And and he, and he loved all that. He loved the comp. He dished it out. He could take it. Never always won every battle. You know, there's the Scott <coughs> Arfield doing the Bruni. And he took it. Because most of the time he took it because he was winning. And he could ha- and yeah. he could handle it. He, he, he just thought, OK, I'll give you your moment. There's the, the Ross County, Kovacevic, where, he, where he's like that. To Kovacevic has planted a boot on him and won a tackle. And Kovacevic is celebrating as if he's just scored the winning goal. And, Ross, <coughs> and Scott Brown's winning like that, yes. You want to tackle against me? I mean, that's, that's incredible, the effect that you had on opposition players and opposition fans. It, absolutely incredible that they win a challenge against them or they win something or they hurt them in any shape or form or they do something that upsets them. It's cause for celebration. What did Scott Brown do? He got on with it. And your celebration, the iconic celebration where El Hadji Juf just cemented them in the hearts and minds of the Celtic fans because... El Hadji Juf, and I think a lot of Rangers supporters will admit this as well. He's he wasn't uh, a footballer that was well liked. You know, if, if, if push came to shove, he had a despicable nature to his character. 
when he spat at a Celtic supporter playing for Liverpool. So to do that in front of El Hadji Juf at Ibrooks, I, I was I was on that endless Celts podcast last night and I said he may as well have just revealed a T shirt saying, I'm Scott Brown, what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> and that that was his mantra from then on in. For ten years he bossed Scottish football. And there's a interest I was looking through quotes and a cracking quote and from the most unlikely source Ibuwe Kowasi said this about Scott Brown. Brendan Rogers is Celtic boss in name. Scott Brown, Celtic boss by nature. I thought, what a wow. That's mm-hmm. That sums up Scott Brown. I think Jim would agree with that. And the, the moniker that they had yesterday, captain, leader, legend. Yep. And if you're going to get all emotional and schmaltzy about it, Dead Port Society, I think Scott Brown in 14 years is the definition of, oh, captain, my captain. And it leaves a massive void at Celtic. Jim. I think also when, uh, when 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 Laura gave us her homework last night to go and think about Scott Brown, <laughs> uh, a couple Big of tick. things occurred to me. Big tick. Hope all night thinking of things. And uh, <laughs> first one that came to mind was the first time that I'd ever seen Scott Brown, or the first time I'd ever noticed Scott Brown. And that was a few weeks before Black Sunday. I'm sure Tony remember that well. Don't you, Laura? You're still too young for that. 2005. No, no, I remember it. Remember it. Well, we'd we just come off beating Rangers at Ibrox 2-1. Craig Bellamy scored the goal. Yeah. And we'd, we'd four games to go and nine points would do the league and, and Hibs came to Celtic Park under Mowbray. Really young, attack-minded Hibs team and beat us 3-1 and Scott Brown was outstanding. That day, box to box, very kind of Stan Petrov type of game. Scored a really good goal and that, that's the first time I'd noticed Scott Brown. So, so he was to blame. He was partly to blame for what happened in Black Sunday because if we, if we beat Hibs that day, I'm pretty confident we won the league that year. So that was that was one thought I had. Another thought I had was, I think you could easily say that Scott Brown has been the player of the last decade. And that then got me thinking that, see if you get back the decades, it's actually quite difficult to pick a player of a decade. I don't mean for Celtic. I mean in Scottish football. You know, you can say, well, from 2000 and 10 to 2019, Scott Brown's the player of the decade. If you go 2000 to 2009, who's the player of the decade? We say, well, Larson was obviously exceptional, but he was only here for four of those years. You know, so the, back to the 90s, back to the 80s, the 70s, 60s, it becomes more and more difficult. And I think he stands alone. You know, stands mm-hmm. alone. Yeah, and, and, you know, you talk about moments as well. And, uh, you know, me, I, and people remember goals and stuff. But do you know what? A lot of people didn't give credit but it's true because he was a better footballer than a lot of people thought and see his pass at Ibrooks for Dembele that 60 yard 70 yard pass and Dembele takes a touch and flicks over the goalkeeper and it coins that phrase what's the goalie doing Tom from uh, Cuban <laughs> you know but if you actually execute that pass while Candace comes in and cements him and the Rangers fans are cheering mm-hmm. and two seconds later it's in the but if you look at that footage he looks up and he sees Dembele going and he pings it. I mean, he hits a, a pillar of a pass. I don't know what I'm like when I'm past. I said it with Dumbelli as well. But that particular game, two cracking moments in that game were, you know, defining as a footballer. He knows Candace is coming in to clog him. He looks up and he shells a shout. See if Koeman or somebody does that or Van Dyke. People talk about it for years. It, it's a, a moment in time that's largely gone unnoticed and unspoken about. But it's a brilliant pass. Dumbelli just kind of cushions it with his side and just thinks a lovely ball over the goalkeeper, but to actually do that in a split second that he had, you know, that's the kind of quality that, well, not 
noticed in Scott Brown, but the things he could do. You know, a lot of the time we say that off air that his passion could be erratic, but when he got it right, he got it right. And there was a there was a brain there, and there was a footballer. And as Jim said, the, the charging midfielder that came from Hibs, he had another brilliant game for Hibs when Ivan Sproul scored a hat trick at Ibrox, and I think he set up two of those goals by charging 70 yards down the pitch and releasing the ball. And that was the kind of player that I remember as well when we first brought Scott Brown to, to my attention under Mowbray. So, you know, a, a lot of magnificent qualities and he will be sadly missed. And I said as well that I think a lot of Celtic supporters, there was a, a great disturbance in the force that they thought he was going to leave. And I think a lot of them still feel that way today. I think... I can't disagree with that and I think you know from my point of view I said at the top of the show I'm I'm not one of his biggest fans but listening to you guys talk about him looking through the stats that I've looked through I have to sit here and admit in front of everybody watching on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter I have to eat some humble pie because you know you can't argue with what's presented before you when you reflect on his career and what he's done Um, Jim I'll come to you on this point we've talked about how Opposition players, opposition fans often cheat. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Um, when he got clattered or, or when he did something wrong. or And the one thing that says to me is... He managed to get in their heads. He managed to make a spectacle enough of himself that they were almost distracted by him while other players were able to create and do that kind of thing. Do you think that's going to be a big loss for us going forward that that you don't have that presence in the team that I can think of where they're going to be thinking, oh, we'll get stuck into Scott Brown or, or we'll wind him up or we'll do that and distract him from some of the other players? What, what do you think of that? As I said earlier, I think it's absolutely huge. I think 90% of football is mental. I mean mental, it's psychological, basically. <laughs> it's all in the head. And uh, Scott Brown, I mean, is mentally, mentally tough. Uh, and you need that kind of mental toughness to play for Celtic. And a lot of players have fallen by the wayside because they don't have that mental toughness. And if you've got him there, and, and, and all the players speak very highly of him, all the new players that come in speak very highly of him. So he's somebody 
tries to make sure that the players get it. And, and not so much about, you know, this is the history of Celtic Football Club, but this is what it means to play. This is the kind of pressures you're going to be under game after game after game after game. And my concern is there's nobody there just now who can actually do that job. I haven't a clue who that's going to be. I mean, and we can talk about Ayer maybe being the new captain if he stays, but Ayer's not that kind of person. I don't think Callum McGregor is that kind of person. James Forrest isn't that kind of person. So I think that's a big loss. And I think he would be there to help any new manager, sorry, the new manager, whoever that may be, coming in. Whether he played or not, I don't think that was that important. I think actually just him being there. And I think it would be a huge boost to the club he's going to. I think that's an astonishing signing that they've made, both as a player and as a coach. I think he's been very clever in the moves that he's made. You know, Hibs a couple of years, or two or three years at Hibs. He could have left Celtic a number of times. There's a few times, like, was it not? Spurs were interesting at one point. Mm-hmm. Newcastle, Newcastle I think, as well, yeah. And UV, somebody mentioned UV one year, which didn't. But anyway, he's, he's, he's managed his career really, really well. He could have stayed over another year, I think. If I was him, I would quite fancy that move. I think that's a really good first step in the ladder. Uh, I think he might have been thinking, I wouldn't use that much next year, but I think our loss is much more than his. That's why I'd have kept mm-hmm. Tony, I think the more that the discussion's going on, you're, it's becoming more apparent that you know Aberdeen are obviously gaining a, a, a great player, a player who who has done so much for us as a club. Um, I'm seeing a few people... Um, Nicola Stubborn on uh, YouTube has commented who's the next captain then and that just kind of contributes to the conversation that we're having around how we replace him, how do we how do we fill that gap and what he brings so much more than he's on the field persona but he's off the field persona as well. I think we've had this discussion a few times but who, who do you think do we currently have that can fill that gap or do we not have anybody? Is there somebody we need to go out and find? You're struggling, really, aren't you? Because I don't think Callum McGregor's that, that person. Callum McGregor's been there a long time, and you think it'd be an actual progression to go into that captain's role. But, uh, you know, you're losing a born winner in Scott Brown. Mm-hmm. And I look around that Celtic team, and I don't see, well, like Jim's just alluded to there, born winners or guys that can instill what it means to play for a club like Celtic. That mental toughness, that mental fortitude. And remember, Scott Brown had a terrible tragedy off the field as well with his sister. Don't particularly want to dwell on that, but these things are all you know grow you into your football, like part of your makeup, you know, and that how you can move on with things like that, and you know, and, and not I'm not saying you, you never forget something like that, but to actually go about your day to day business when something tragic like that happens, you know, it's it's testament to a strength of character that he did that and he made the success of his career that he did at Celtic. You know, maybe the only blip would be European uh, record. You know, which wasn't great, but again, that's nitpicking. But in terms of a born winner and a leader and an inspirational figure, you look around and Celtic are shorn of them in the dressing room. And a lot of people are saying, you know, try to throw names at you, you know, go and get the boy Alan Campbell from Motherwell. Even Lewis Ferguson from Aberdeen's been mentioned. You know, guys like that. But you, you turn around and you think, well, Celtic might have to bring in those... Not seeing those particular players, but they're just ones off the top of their head that people are throwing out right away. But Celtic might have to bring in winners and people that can understand straight off the bat what it means to play for Celtic. You know, Jim said there, don't know if Julian's that guy. I think he's a great influence, but I don't know if he's that person just yet. 
Ayer might leave, Edouard might leave. So there's a big void going to be left at the club. You have to fill it with people to replace Scott Brown. So that's your big problem with Scott Brown going to Aberdeen. That gap, that void, that kind of what he's, what's been left there. You know, and he, he was Brendan Rodgers' go-to guy when he came in. Brendan Rodgers said, right, give me the lowdown. And they had that infamous meeting where we were moving the salt and pepper dishes around, you know, at a table and a restaurant around his house. You know, he would have been the ideal sounding board for the new management team to say, fill me in, who do we keep, what do we do, where do you see your own role here, you know. And I don't think Scott Brown could have accepted a peripheral role at Celtic, a big part player. He's a big voice, he's a big character, which is maybe why he's chosen to go to Aberdeen, because he'll still be able to play as well as do his coaching badges and, you know, enhance his coaching reputation. And all being well, he'll come back to Celtic in a coaching capacity and he'll be welcome back with open arms. He, he certainly will. And I just hope that, I mean, Aberdeen's gain is very much Celtic's loss. And I, I struggle just now to name a Celtic captain somebody who's going to automatically step into the breach. I really do. Yeah. I, think I think if, I think if Shane Duffy had a worked out, I think if Shane Duffy yeah. had a worked out the way we hoped he worked out, he'd have been an obvious choice and that might have been a bit of a carrot for him to stay for maybe a couple of years, but obviously that's all, that's all fell apart. But you never know, maybe some sort of left field yeah. choice mm-hmm. you know, in the same way Scott Brown was a kind of left field choice. You know, you would never imagine, he, I would have never imagined he'd get a captaincy at that time. So, you never know. It could be a David Turnbull or something like that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, Jim, we've talked about his mental strengths and, and, and what he brings to the club. But I got I have to admit, I get shivers watching one of the videos back where he said on his opening interview that his intention was to become a Celtic legend. And I, I don't think anybody can argue that he's achieved that. He certainly has. Um, but leaving aside what he obviously brings in terms of mentality and attitude I think he definitely feels he still has something to offer on the field and I think as Tony says that's probably why he's taking the move to Aberdeen because he maybe thinks he'll get more of a chance there to, to still execute that but looking at Celtic's play going forward I think we can all agree that in, in the later years especially you know he did slow the play down a little bit he did um, he, he, there was maybe other players who had better passing ability better uh, better shooting ability, that kind of thing. What, what do you think his exit will signify for us purely from a playing point of view, a tactics point of view, and how we handle matches going forward? Well, I think he was one of our best players last Sunday, so I don't think mm-hmm. he's playing particularly badly. And I think maybe under a different manager, uh, I, th- I think he would have been absolutely fine. I mean, I think there was a time where, just before Rogers came, he was going through a bit of a dip. And I think at that point, mm-hmm. if he'd have left, he wouldn't be that bothered. But I think he's still got a lot to give. And uh, I, I think he's still got a lot to give. And that, as I said, I thought it was good last Sunday. Uh, mm-hmm. What was the question? There's a bit of a noise behind me, sorry. Uh, no, the question was, how do you think, we've talked about the mental side of his game and how that's obviously going to be a big loss, but from a, a physical on-the-park sense, how do you think losing him will change our style of play? Do you think it will be majorly affected or do you think it will be something that will be majorly affected by the other changes going on at the club anyway? I think there'll be so many changes, Laura, we don't know how that's going to pan out. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll just have to see. I mean, like we've said before, there'll be a a major new build coming up. We could, we, we could have a completely new mid-pro, we know. So uh, 
it's a bit of a mystery to everyone how that's going to pan out. And the fact that yep. though you have a manager, we have no idea how it's going to pan out. So who knows? I think that's a fair one. And, and looking at looking at the the banner that we've got here, Tony um, Brown to follow Lawwell and Lennon out. Now there's a lot of fans at the start of the season would have been happy to end the season with this having happened, ten in a row or not. Do you think it's a case of be careful what you wish for? Are you anxious about so many big changes happening at one time? Or do you think this is a chance for a clean slate, a fresh start, and to build something more in, in line with what other modern clubs are doing? Well, there is an argument for both. But I'll, I'll say this. Brendan Rodgers said about Scott Brown, on the field and in the changing room, Scott gives his life to Celtic. If you were going to war, he's the first one you'd take with you. Why would any new management team not want to work with Scott Brown for a year anyway and help that transition? That kind of that decision baffles me. He's got so much to offer still. Maybe not in the playing sense, but certainly just in a, in a coaching sense and just telling the new management structure what's what and how every player is and assess all the players. You know, I, I, just just his presence alone creates a big gap in... You know, there's you just sort of Celtic are now kind of there is a a major rebuild happening here, but you're having to replace big big figures. You know, your CEO is gone. Don't know much about Dominic Mackay. He hasn't spoke. He hasn't assumed his role. Uh, the manager's gone. You know, you're still fumbling around in the dark trying to appoint a manager. All sorts of names being flung into that. You know, category and managerial ring. So you're just like, oh, you know, he, he, at this moment in time. Celtic are rudderless, managerless, captainless, and you sort of wonder if they're directionless, and that that worries you greatly because I keep going back to it. It's eighty-five days or something till the first Champions League qualifier. Where's the structure? Where's the plan? What's happening? And every day that goes by, you're missing a chance to get people in and start building and getting these players in, replacing the likes of Scott Brown, talking to the guys who. <clears throat> excuse me, or, or on the cusp of leaving, you know, or depending on who, who the manager is that comes in, maybe persuading them to stay. But none of this is happening. Time's of the essence. And you just, you worry about Celtic getting, one, the appointment right, and then having any kind of plan moving forward. Jim's a big advocate of that. We need to know what's happening moving forward. What's, what's the structure? What's the plan? Who's pulling the strings? But at this moment in time, we don't have the CEO in such a yet, don't have a manager in such a yet, and we've just lost our captain as well. I mean, <laughs> beggars belief, doesn't it? it really yeah. does. I also uh, think if you want to dominate if, if you want to dominate Scottish football, every one of your players has to be feared by the opposition. Mm-hmm. And what's happened this year is very few of our players are feared by the opposition. Scott Brown is one of them who was who was feared mm-hmm. by the opposition. And if you go back to the Martin O'Neill years, virtually every single player, I'm thinking Hartson, Larson, Sutton, Lambert, Petrov, you threw the whole team, nobody wants to play against them. You look at the Celtic team this year, or what's going to be left, and mm-hmm. people would fancy their chances. And that's why I think there will be this massive clear-out. And so quickly we can gel those players together. And that'll be the key next year. I mean, I think we'll go on okay next year. I mean, we've only got one main rival. And there's no reason why we yeah. can't put a, a decent team together that takes care of the other teams. And I think as long as we maybe don't play the first Glasgow derby until maybe the seventh, eighth, ninth game and get ourselves together, then mm-hmm. I, I think we'll be okay next year. Uh, I think the Champions League will come too quickly. 
I think the Europa League might come too quickly, but I think in terms of the league, it's always a two-horse race. So you've only got one team to beat. Mm-hmm. I agree with that to an extent, Jim, but I'd like to see things kind of happening now-ish. You know, I don't know about you. You know, just yeah. sort of so we can see where we're going and, and see if we're going to shape up. The kind of lack of clarity or vision or any kind of news, just it, it's disconcerting, to say the least. I think also to put devil's advocate, I'm not actually sure what they would say. You know, mm-hmm. even if they announced the manager just now, I mean, if I was the new manager, I wouldn't come in just now. I would wait to the end of the season because what I don't want to do is come in and have a few bad results and maybe get hammered at Ibrox or something like that. So I'd come in at the end of the season. So I've kind of always assumed that the manager has been picked and he's working in the background. Uh, and that's why mm-hmm. I'm a bit concerned about all this Roy Keane stuff that's kicking about. I, I'd be astonished if I've not actually got the manager now. I just, it would astonish me. Yeah. On that on that point, um, one thing that I was reading earlier in the week uh, that there was a lot of sort of discussion about and reflection on was the interview uh, with Dermot Desmond that was published and the content, if you want to call it that, therein. Tony, I, I read it and to be honest, didn't come out any wiser as to what the ongoing uh, situation is at the club with regards to a plan. What did you make of the the content of it and, and did you glean anything from it at all having read it? The one thing that struck me was the due diligence process that they said that any appointing any manager, what, what they have to go through and it's a, it's a long, drawn-out, laborious process. But that didn't strike me as being the process that they adhered to when they appointed Neil Lennon in the showers at Hamden, the Scottish Cup. So that kind of contradicted anything uh, that had gone before in terms of the managerial appointment of Neil Lennon. That's the one thing that leapt out at me, that they say that they, they do all this due process and it takes time to, to strike a deal, but they certainly didn't do that when Neil Lennon was appointed. I'm sure Peter Law was also said there was a, a drawer full of CVs which they refused to look at. Mm-hmm. So I know they're trying to say that this time they're... they're they're doing it the right way and going to pick the right person. But are they? You just, I think a lot of Celtic supporters have lost trust and I'm getting it right. But actually going through these stages and going to the right people and asking the right managers the question. You know, so, because nobody has come out and said that they've knocked it back yet, certainly to, to my knowledge. You know, and uh, the, the keen, the keen Every people jumping or jumping off the Keane bus. Keane, the, the appointment of Keane would worry a lot of Celtic supporters. You know, mm-hmm. just, it would just worry them moving forward. And it would strike you as not, they've not conducted a due diligence process. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. 
not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If that were to happen, we know one guy that's on the Keen bus, our very own Axon Russell Boyce, he's jumped on the Keen bus, but I think he's also jumped on the Venga bus because I think he likes He's on his own. I, he's on the bus. He likes the uh, I think he's on the bus, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a very, it would be an unpopular choice amongst the Celtic supporters. But if that's who it is, then you're going to have to get your head around it and and, and get with the programme and, and support it. Yeah. I think in terms of the statements, Laura, in terms of that statement he made, I think Dempsey touched a nerve. That's all it was. Oh, absolutely. He was coming back at Dempsey. Yeah. And I think if you've got nothing to say, don't say anything. I don't think you're anything to say. So I don't understand why he would say anything. You know, and to get back to the Roy Keane thing, we said this last week, uh, you know, you're looking for somebody who, I mean, if you take Roy Keane's name out of the equation altogether and you say, we're going to replace Neil Lennon with somebody who hasn't been a manager in 10 years, you would mm-hmm. laugh at that. You would laugh mm-hmm. at that. And, and you're looking for somebody who's going to come in and drive on a modern football club hasn't managed for 10 years you know and I've listened to the podcast during the week and somebody made a comment yesterday it might have been Paul and if it wasn't I'm sorry for saying this but I think somebody said something like well if you brought in Roy Keane and brought in somebody else and somebody else that might take the sting out of it and I'm thinking no we don't want stings you know no stings here right if we're going to appoint three people we appoint three good people we don't appoint Mm -hmm. one dodgy people and two people to compensate for that you know, you're so that's so the right key things. Sorry, Tony. You're point three of the best. That's what you do. Aye, 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 aye. aye. Um, yeah, we're getting a lot of comments coming through on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Um, John Celtic John sixty seven, I think the name was on Twitter, saying we need to get a manager in as soon as possible. Uh, Michael McGowan on Facebook is saying Roy Keane's a winner; he's a top man. Um, so there, there's a lot of conflicting uh, attitudes and things about what's See going that on. Point, Laura, J- Laura. Yeah, I was just going to come to you, point, Jim, because I think right. you've talked about that before. So, so go ahead. It's on that point. I mean, I've I've read Twitter the last couple of days, and it's full of Roy Keane would do this. Roy Keane would make them fit. Where's the evidence of that? Roy Keane would stop us losing silly goals. Where's the evidence for that? You know, people mm-hmm. make statements. Roy Keane would just. Roy Keane is a world-class football player, one of the best. Yeah. In the world, in the last thirty years, as a football player. But as Paul has pointed out, you said less than two hundred games as a manager in English Championship. So when people say Roy Keane would do this and Roy Keane would do that, shows the evidence that says that. Because what I said last week is that the new manager has to be evidence based. We're going to appoint this guy because of A, B, C, D, and E. And if they do that, as I said last week, and it falls flat on its face, you won't blame the board because it's evidence-based. If they take a risk and appoint a manager who hasn't managed for 10 years, I think that's a huge risk. And if it fails, mm-hmm. the board will get slaughtered. It won't be Roy Keane. And I think most people, well, not most people, me, <laughs> and people who share my view, is that if you ask me to pick between Neil Lennon and Roy Keane, I would pick Neil Lennon. And if we're saying mm-hmm. Neil Lennon's not good enough for Celtic just now, ipso facto, Roy Keane's not good enough for Celtic. But as, as Tony said, I mean, whoever gets the job, you get behind the manager. Um, and if it's the guy you wanted and he does well, you'll be saying, I told you so. And if you pick the guy you don't want and he fails, you'll be saying, I told you so. So, yeah. But yeah, hopefully we get the thing sorted out as soon as possible. We all get behind the new manager and it's the right choice. And it's a, 
Appointment, not a disappointment. I'm just going to quote Tony Haggerty today. That's what you're doing. <laughs> As long as you, you credit the quote, you're all right, you're all right. <laughs> um, Tony, on... I don't have the book with me. <laughs> Tony, on, on, on Jim's point there about, you know, get, getting behind the new manager and, and, and doing that, which I think we all agree, regardless of who the choice is, we're Celtic supporters at the end of the day, that is what we will do. There's a lot of things coming out that suggest to me that there is a lot more behind the rumours of Roy Keane come, becoming manager, a lot more to substantiate them than previously thought. There was a lot of sources coming out yesterday saying that he has spoken to the club. Mika Richards, his uh, Sky Sports uh, pundit co- colleague, was on Twitter, maybe just on the wind-up, but was tweeting uh, various gifts and things like that, suggesting that it might be closer to happening. Martin O'Neill was on Celtic TV backing him out rightly before the game the other week. If if it went ahead and if we are sitting here next week talking about Roy Keane as the new manager in whatever form it is, what are the positives that he can bring? What what do you think he can do to help improve the current situation? And I know I'm putting you on the spot with that one. <laughs> I'm not too sure, but I tell you what, I wouldn't like to be stared down the barrel of, by Roy Keane. Right? But well, I think what Roy Keane might do is bring in players that want to play for Celtic and say mm-hmm. to them, where do you see yourself in two or three years' time? And the correct answer to Roy Keane would be, I see myself achieving success with Celtic. See if you say, I see myself down in England, you'll be hunted or you'll not even get to the next question. He'll walk out the room. So the one thing he will do is, he, or I think he will, I don't know if he'll do it because as Jim says, how do you know? But I think he might bring a culture where players and Russell's spoken about this, will not use the club as a stepping stone. He will want to get the best players in to achieve success for Celtic. Because as a player, he achieved phenomenal success and he gave everything to his club. Everybody talks about that performance in Chirin where he was booked, he was out of Champions League final, but it didn't matter to him. He gave everything for his his club that night and it was one of the best solo individual performances you've seen in a football field. So I think Roy Keane... In terms of being a winner, I, I get that, and I get that he would he would wouldn't suffer fools gladly, but he would stare down the whites of your eyes and see, are you genuinely want to play for this club, or is your eyes somewhere else, you know, at England or abroad? If that's the case, you're no use to me. I, I think mm-hmm. he, would, he would bring that culture for a start. Well, I'd like to think he would. Well, Celtic want to be a progressive club, both domestically and in Europe. I'm like Jim, I, I can't vouch for what he would bring having not managed for 10 years. But in, in terms of that alone, and and he has a working relationship with Dermot, De- uh, a relationship with Dermot Desmond. And Dermot Desmond has been a champion of this guy for a long, long time. So would Dermot Desmond be willing to back his pal to the hill in order to say to people, as Jim has been talking about, I told you so. This was the guy I told you should have had the job years ago. So... That, that, that it could have a spin-off in that sense. You know, but Roy Keane would have to have the best people working around him as well. You know, because I have my reservations about him as a, as a Celtic manager. I really do. Mm. But but uh, uh, as much as everybody's been negative, you have to look at the flip side and say, what positives could he bring? And, and I think that's there, certainly positives that he could bring to the table. You know, he's abrasive, yep, he would you wouldn't put away any garbage. You would 
back the club's corner at every opportunity. People don't like that. But as Jim said, we need you need people in your club that have to be feared again. <laughs> I think that's a man that would be feared right, left and centre. Uh, but you have your reservation about it being a long-term project. Mm-hmm. I Jim, think he's somebody with a completely different... On you go. I think he's somebody with a completely different skill set to what Roy Keane has. Mm-hmm. If it's a modern club, that doesn't work with me. And I think, you know, you could go back to the Celtic's best ever manager, Jokestein, would struggle to manage modern-day players. You know, and then Keenan and Sooners can sit in the Sky Studio and talk about Paul Pogba, this Paul Pogba, that. They couldn't do anything with Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba's earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. You're going to shoot at Paul Pogba, he's going to ignore you. So you need a different skill set, I think. And I don't think it's about throwing lots of money at this. I think that's not a good idea either. You know, I would rather that we didn't uh, spend big, that we spent smarter. We shouldn't be spending, you know, five, six, seven million pound in players. If we do that, we're failed. I think I've said in the podcast before that if I was in charge of Celtic, we're putting a Mickey Mouse league. I don't think we should be spending more than three million pounds in any player and paying them more than ten grand a week. That would be that would be my view. I think I know that'd be an unpopular view. But I think if you've got the the youth system right, the development system right, the recruitment right, the scouting right, all that kind of stuff, you get all that stuff right, you shouldn't be spending silly money in players. Get young, hungry players in, develop them. Hopefully they stay there for two or three years, sell them on, make a big profit, and repeat the cycle. That's 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 modern football, and we need somebody in who can do that. Not somebody who you say, well, we'll spend five million on him and seven million on this guy and pay them silly money, and then we'll see what happens next. And if, and, and the big issue would be, as I said last week, if somebody like Roy Keane comes in and fails, then you get rid of him and you start again. This is a big jigsaw, I think. And if we want to be a modern club and moving forward, if you just said to any Celtic fan, we want a modern club to move forward and we're going to appoint Roy Keane, you would think that doesn't make sense to me. So, yeah. Jim, just to, to come back at you on that point, uh, I, I totally agree that Roy Keane's uh, apparent nature and, and apparent coaching style wouldn't suit a modern day type of player. I don't know if you're in any better a position to offer because I can't think of what what would be required for these modern players to get the best out of them? What do you think it takes in a modern manager to get the best out of the type of players that we've got? Or or are, is the type of player that we've got part of the issue? And Do we need to sort of scrap that as well and build from scratch? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you take somebody like, think of somebody just now, a Yeti. A Yeti to me looks as, as if he's not bothered. You know, leaving in there and assign somebody who hadn't kicked a ball for West Ham for a year. And we had to haggle and haggle and haggle and haggle to take the guy in and paid over £5 million for the guy. And we paid him, what, I'm assuming 20 grand a week, a million pound a year. How do you, how do you motivate that guy? Don't sign him in the first place. Go out there and get young, hungry players. Don't buy players over the age of 23, say. Get your scouting network sorted out. That's what I'd go with this. Uh, I just think when you start paying players big, big money, they, they lose a bit of focus. They lose a bit of incentive. You, know, you might want one or two of those kind of players in your team, but you don't want loads of players getting paid silly money. And that's why I think we went wrong. I mean, when we paid nine million for Eddie and seven million for Julian, I couldn't believe we were paying that kind of money. You know, because that's that's big, big money for a club that's only got a turnover of usually about sixty, seventy million pounds. If we're the Champions League, so we have to. Sorry, Tony, you go. 
Look up, Kat, for finish. Sorry, I thought you'd finished. No, 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 you go. You see that, see that, what you've spoken about there? I think that would be more palatable to the Celtic supporters if they'd won the 10, that this kind of new direction that they're taking. I think they're still shaken and hurt by not winning the 10, that they just, they're, they're not, they're not open to anything at the moment except for instant regaining of the title and success. You know, but had they I think won also the- something. Yeah, I think also something to the also also get in the way is the fact that if if it is automatic Champion League qualification next year, they were playing for some big money next year, so yeah. you have to hit the ground running. Yeah. I think last year, I think this, I think this season, we've, we've been trying to play for history. Next year, we're playing for money, playing for big money. Yeah. So yeah. I could understand maybe if you want to bring in a Roy Keane and throw lots of money at him, it's a one year thing. Yeah, and so you're going to. Yeah. They're going to leave the vision thing until next year. Yeah. If that's the plan, then fair enough, that's the plan. And I, but I say, I think it'd have been more palatable and more sellable had they won the ten. I think we'd have, people would have seen right. Okay, we've won the ten. We're going to embark on a, on a new era and a new a new direction. And I think the Celtic supporters would have been all in with that. I think it's just the fact that the way the tens collapsed and and now they're they're just hurting and they want answers. And they, as you say, next season is. It's pivotal a season in any in Celtic's history to get instant uh, money for the Champions League group stages by by winning the title. And as you've rightly said, you only need to beat one team. So it is, they have to make a decision on whether it's a long-term project or short-term gain and then start your longer-term project. That's the big thing that Celtic now have to have to work out and decide. Mm-hmm. I, I think, think that's the discussion. Either, Sorry, on you go, Jim. They have to either stick or twist yeah. They throw loads of money and try and win the Champions League this year. That's all they try, try and get into the Champions League this year. <laughs> or uh, start from scratch and take a yeah. chance. And and Celtic's never been a club to speculate to accumulate. You know, no. are we going to go out and spend ten, fifteen million pounds this year in the hope of getting that thirty million pound bonus at the end of the year? We've never done that before. Mm-hmm. I, I think Tony just to Sorry, Tony. Um, just to come back to you on, on some of that, if, if we are looking at, if we all agree that a long-term plan is probably the most desirable one, as it would be for any club, because it's it's the one that gives you the infrastructure for success, would you be on board with a short-term sort of um, twist, if you like, where we just do something in the short term just to wrestle the, the dominance back, or are you quite happy to kind of forgo any short-term gains for the long-term gain? I don't think the Celtic supporters are inclined to put up with any particular period of Rangers dominance. Mm-hmm. I think the short-term twisting... I think this is a season of short-term twist if you're going to do it because of what's at stake. You automatically get into the Champions League group stages and you get 30 million quid, or 35 million quid. You are playing, as Jim says, for money. You know, points. what do points make? Points make prizes this time, you know. So it's thirty-five million quid that the club could then do their restructure and their remodel. So, in in terms of that, then it might be worth doing that. You speculate to accumulate, as Jim says, but which they haven't really done. But I, I think it's because of the nature of this season's collapse. The, the fans just want this title wrestled back from Rangers. They don't want to see any period of Rangers dominance or any chance that. They could get back in the ball game, as they say, you know. And you only do have to beat one team, so 
maybe Jim's right, you maybe don't have to spend an absolute fortune, but you have to spend wisely and you have to spend bringing on money on bringing in players that are good enough to beat Rangers. Bottom line. Totally I think that Champions League that. qualification. I think that Champions League qualification is 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 the big game changer. Yeah, if there was no automatic qualification, I think you know people maybe would get on board with let's maybe no. try something different. But that thirty million carrot lying at the end of the season, then do we spend fifteen and try and double our money? But what if we don't? And you've lost fifteen million pounds and you're back to scratch. So therein lies the Pepsi challenge for the one <laughs> guy. That's the one that's going to focus the minds, isn't it, Jim? Aye, yeah. yeah. Jim, to come to you on that point, I, I watched David, he was, uh, I guess, on the show on Wednesday with Colin and Amy, and it was his... Um, he was quite optimistic that he doesn't think, even for the disaster of a season that we've had, that we are as far away from Rangers as they were. Certainly, I think Rangers are not going to put in the performances or the consistency of performance next season that they have this season do you think maybe we're still too fresh from a a lot of the wounds this season and that actually things aren't as bad as they look or or do you think there is a lot of work to be done to get us back near the levels we've been at well I think usually I get kind of people look at me as a kind of negative guy and a bit bit pessimistic Mm -hmm. which I'm not at all away from this podcast, but uh, I think we'll win the league next year. There you go. I think we'll win the league. And the reason I think that is because, as you said, Lorda, uh, the current year's champions have been had, had an extraordinary season. Extraordinary season. When we had the invincible season with 106 points, the following year with 82 points, we dropped 24 points. I don't expect them to drop 24 points, but I think they'll be around about the 90-point mark next year. I think they'll, they'll end up this year with just over 100 points, say, and everything's went their way. Red cards, penalties, COVID, injuries. The whole thing's went, went their way. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're, they're well-deserved champions. I'm not trying to make excuses. But all that stuff's not going to go their way next year. They're not going to play that well next year. So I can see them dropping 10, 12 points. And they end up winning about the 90-point mark. And then we, we drop silly points this year at places we would never drop points at. And it's understandable if you drop points at Easter Road, Petaudry, and Robbie Park, but drawing points to Livingston and St. Johnson at home and all that sort of stuff. We'll end up with 80 points-ish, and I think we could put another 9, 10 points on the board. That would give us 90 points each. So I think there's not much in it next year, even if we have to start with a new team. Because uh, as I said, if we can't put a team together to beat you know, 10 other teams out there who have got a fraction of our resources, there's something badly wrong, no matter who the manager is. And it's down to four Glasgow Derbies. And if you were to win the first Glasgow Derby next year, you know, we're off to a flyer. So I, I don't see it as that difficult. But my my focus every year is not domestically, it's Europe. And we've been, mm-hmm. you know, most seasons have been pretty hopeless. And uh, as Tony alluded to earlier, I think about one of Scott Brown's things, that he's kind of thought, mm, I wish we'd done a bit better in Europe in my time at Celtic. Mm-hmm. And also maybe from an international point of view, the fact he never played in a major tournament. But say. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we'll be there or thereabouts, just just based on that kind of simple logic. If, if you've had an extraordinary season this year, you're not going to have an extraordinary season next year because the whole point of the word extraordinary means it's a kind of one-off. So I think they'll have a, a good season, a reasonable season. I think we'll have a good reasonable season. And uh, if we can strengthen in the right places and we get a decent couple of forwards that can, that can, that can bang in the goals uh, and somebody decent at the back, I, I just think it'll be fairly tight next year. 
if they qualify for the Champions League and get the big Champions League money, we might have to revisit that. But uh, I think we'll be pretty tight next year and we might just sneak it. Tony, I think um, Jim raises a lot of good points there, especially with regard to what our likely total points tally is uh, going to be this season. It, it maybe puts into perspective that a, we've been playing at such a high standard over the last few years and that a slight fall from that standard has maybe been viewed through a more pessimistic lens than it otherwise might have been. Um, and hopefully hopefully next season we're much closer, if not if not ahead of Rangers, um, in, in making up that difference and, and overcoming them. But to pick up on the point about Europe, we're all kind of agreeing that depending on where the the managerial appointment goes when it comes we might be too late to, to make an impact on Europe this season but what what is it do you think that's been our major failings in Europe in recent years and what do you think we can do to maybe or what kind of things do we need to put in place to try and make more of an impact in Europe in years to come well Jennifer, we've just never been prepared for Europe at all we've never tooled up as my fond of that expression We've always brought in players after we've been bundled out of Europe in order to mm-hmm. appease fans and the kind of the horses bolted. You look at the calibre of club we've lost in Europe recently. Mm-hmm. You know Athens, Cluj, Malmo. You know, we should be capable of beating these teams because we're a better team. You know, mm-hmm. comes too early. It doesn't come too early if you do the preparation and you get the right players in. You know that. that that's for me. That's just. That, that's kind of lazy way of thinking. You have to prepare for these competitions, you know, and you're, you're not going in against mugs, but you're, you're, you're a prestigious club yourself. Be proud of who you are and go and fly the flag for your club in Europe, you know, and preserve that historical name. Don't go in and be, not even saying cannon fodder, but lose to teams where you end up embarrassed and humiliated. You know, and Celtic just never, ever seem to prepare for the Champions League in Europe. Yeah, it's just, and, and it, it's astonishing, really, because mm-hmm. it comes around every year at the same time. It's not as if it creeps up on you. You know exactly mm-hmm. what's happening. You know how many qualifiers are going to have to play. So just prepare, prepare your team and get the best management structure, players, staff, playing squad that you can and have a tilt at it every year because the riches you can get from advancing to the latter stages are, you know, they're enormous. So why wouldn't you treat that competition with the reverence it deserves? You know, you, you, you're you never, well, the odds are you're never going to win it again, but let's go as far as we can. Why mm-hmm. can't we go as far as they can in, in major European competition? And I'm talking about the Champions League. Gordon Strachan took them to the last 16 twice. You know, why Why is that beyond, why has that been beyond any, any Celtic manager since? Mm-hmm. I, just, uh, I, I find that. That's why I'd also like to hear the vision. Uh, yeah. That's why I'd like also to hear the vision of the Celtic board because I would say you know you say things like what's your what's your f- your five year plan and I'd say well, over the next five years I'd expect to win the league four out of five times and the fourth times we win it I'd expect three of those times to get into the Champions League group stages and in one of them I'd like to get to the last six in the last eight and the and the season every season we should at least drop down to the Europa and I'd look to try and get to a quarter final. So what is the vision? What is the plan? So we can actually measure if we've been successful. Let's get back to that expectation thing again, because I think we've been appalling in Europe. 
you know, yeah. and that is the that that is the measure. You know, it's you know beating Hamilton, Ackies, and Livingston and St Johnson is all well and good, but is it much of an achievement? Not in my book. You know, and if we can't beat some of the teams that Tony's mentioned, we're underachieving. You know, and, and and those are issues. And I think just to echo Tony points, that we don't plan ahead, we don't maybe buy the right players, maybe our tactics are particularly good, and that all starts from the top. And that's why. I think the long-term vision thing is that if we bring in somebody like Roy Keane, it'll be no different next year. If we bring in a completely new structure, new thinking, new vision, then maybe in a couple of years' time we've got a chance maybe of moving forward. And see some of those targets that you mentioned, Jim? They should be achievable targets for Celtic in those five-year plans. Mm-hmm. Last 16, maybe one year going to the last eight or dropping into Europa League and get to a quarter-final or a semi-final. They are achievable targets for a club like Celtic. And see if they're not, they should be. They should be on those at the top's agenda, saying we want to do this and we want to do this and we want to do that. That they Keep striving to be the best you can be. Keep saying it. You know, and it and also, that's, yeah, also, that's the kind of things I would like to hear from the club. I'm not bothered about a lot mm-hmm. of things that they say. I'd like to come and say, this is our vision. And then we, can, we, the fans, can actually measure whether they've been successful or not. You know, one in nine in a row was, 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 was fantastic, but it's a domestic squabble. That's all it is. You know, the quadruple treble is brilliant, it's historical, but in the greater scheme of things, it doesn't really matter that much. If if we got to the semi-final of the Europa, the, the last day of the Champions League, that would be phenomenal in this day and age. Absolutely phenomenal. And it would show whether they're in the right direction. And that's, that's all I want, to go in the right direction. I think it kind of ties in with what you've said before, Jim, is that, you know, even to get to those stages, you're dealing with clubs with a lot more financial resource than we've got. But I'm totally in agreement that if we do make it into the Champions League group stages, I think actually the aim should be to drop into the Europa League after Christmas uh, and at least have that going forward. Because once you get into the last 32, last 16 of a competition, it's... You know, anything can happen. A few good results and you're, you find yourself in the latter stages of the competition and then it's less and less games till you can make an impact. So um, I, I I think European football is where um, where we where we should be looking at our targets being, uh, assuming everything. And it, it comes back to another point as well. Tony, I'll ask you about this. Um, I've seen a lot of people say, get the domestic success right and the European success will follow. I don't know that necessarily what we've seen in the last decade means that that follows, one follows the other. Because we've had all the domestic success that we could have asked for and we haven't had the European success. So why why do you think that is? Is it the lack of preparation that you talked about or is it just that we're dealing with, we're just dealing with things on a completely different level? Lack of preparation and planning. You don't need to to plan too much for domestic success, do you? Mm -hmm. You don't. But you have to plan to make yourself a noise in Europe again. No, well, methodically. You know, you have to get up, get it right and, and turn around and say, right, this is what we want from this season. If we win the title, we want to go to this round in Europe. And I think, you know, getting to the, the group stage of the Champions League or beyond or dropping into the Europa League and getting to the last state, I think that should be a prerequisite for a club like Celtic, to be honest. I think you've got to set a high bar so that it says a message to the players that this is what we deem as acceptable. And then Jim said the fans will decide whether it's been a failure or not. 
you know, but as long as there's, they're striving for that and every year, you know, and every player that goes through those glass doors is giving of their best and they're trying to achieve those targets, then I think the fans would accept that. Everybody would accept that. But see, this losing to Cluj and Ike Athens and, you know, Malmo, and, and it's no disrespect to them. You know, they, they, they came and beat us fair and square, Slavia, Prague as well. But you say to yourself, well, well they've, beat us because, they've beaten us because we've just no plan ahead. We've not thought. Europe's been somewhere in the ether for us because they were so, so obsessed by domestic success and getting the 10. Well, that's gone now. So it's a chance to just chart a new direction, plot a new pathway. And the pathway that Celtic fans want is Europe because that's where the big money's made, that's where the big picture is, and that's where your name's made. And the Celtic fans are fed up, you know, being, you know, just treating as some other team. Teams actually want Celtic now in Europe because they think they can take them. That has to change, that culture and that attitude has to change. I want Celtic to become a name at Europe again. I think also if you went to teams like Ajax and Porto and said our ambition is to be in the Champions League, they say to you, I think you're, I think you're setting your bar a bit low there, guys. In fact, your ambition is mm-hmm. to be in the Champions League because Ajax and Porto, these guys, are in there virtually every season. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about expectations. And as I said, it'd be good to know what the expectations of the board are. And then we, as I said, the fans can measure that success or otherwise. Yeah, I think I got I got kind of laughed at one of my early appearances on the pod when I said uh, that my Just dream would be that we are like an Ajax, that we we don't always get to the latter stages of these competitions, but we are consistently there. And then on the odd occasion, every few years, we do go on a good run like they went on a few years ago. And OK, I don't think, I think we are miles away from the semi-finals of the Champions League. But like I say, you, you never know what can happen, it, certainly in terms of Europa League level and, and that maybe being more our standard. So... We'll we'll see we'll see what comes of that. Um, Jim, I'll come to you just lastly before we before we wrap up the show. Uh, assuming that you know, as we all agree, a, a manager is what we need first and foremost, or a, a director of football and head coach, whatever the structure is. Do you anticipate the the appointment being made? You know, perhaps by this time next week, things seem to be ramping up in terms of speculation. Or do you think it's something that is going to take longer than that? I think we'll take longer. I think mm-hmm. I think they know who it is, but they're waiting for the right time to announce who it is. Maybe after the next Glasgow derby or after the Scottish Cup final in the showers, whatever. I mean, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> well, on that note. We will we will leave you today. Uh, thanks very much for all your comments, seeing them coming through. Uh, it's obviously been a big day, big news, uh, sort of confirming that our captain will be leaving. Uh, we wish him all the best, obviously, and hopefully he can help us deliver one more trophy before he does go. Um, and we will we will see you all next week. Obviously, no game this weekend with the international break. Uh, but the bulletins will continue as normal. So yeah, thank you very much. Oh, yeah, sorry, Tony, before we go. I wanted to bow out in a Peter Dudley, uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore style by saying cheerio to Scott Brown. You know, goodbye, goodbye. You're leaving. <laughs> Bye. Well, you do that and I'll just sit here and do the brownie. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. <laughs> we
Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything. But losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you've got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.